Chapter Eleven of Anne of Geierstein by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Donner Hugel's narrative. These be the adepts' doctrines. Every element is peopled with its separate race of spirits. The airy sylphs on the blue ether float deep in the earthy cavern skulks the gnome the sea-green naiad skims the ocean billow and the fierce fire is yet a friendly home to its peculiar sprite the salamander anonymous i told you said rudolph that the lords of arnheim though from father to son they were notoriously addicted to secret studies were nevertheless like the other german nobles followers of war and the chase this was peculiarly the case with anne's maternal grandfather hermann of arnheim who prided himself on possessing a splendid stud of horses and one steed in particular the noblest ever known in these circles of germany i should make wild work were i to attempt a description of such an animal so i will content myself with saying his colour was jet black without a hair of white either on his face or feet for this reason and the wildness of his disposition his master had termed him apollyon a circumstance which was secretly considered as tending to sanction the evil reports which touched the house of arnheim being it was said the naming of a favourite animal after a foul fiend it chanced one november day that the baron had been hunting in the forest and did not reach home till nightfall there were no guests with him for as i hinted to you before the castle of arnheim seldom received any other than those from whom its inhabitants hoped to gain augmentation of knowledge the baron was seated alone in his hall illuminated with cressets and torches his one hand held a volume covered with characters unintelligible to all save himself the other rested on the marble table on which was placed a flask of tokay wine a page stood in respectful attendance near the bottom of the large and dim apartment and no sound was heard save that of the night wind when it sighed mournfully through the rusty coats of mail and waved the tattered banners which were the tapestry of the feudal hall at once the footstep of a person was heard ascending the stairs in haste and trepidation the door of the hall was thrown violently open and terrified to a degree of ecstasy caspar the head of the baron's stable or his master of horse stumbled up almost to the foot of the table at which his lord was seated with the exclamation in his mouth my lord my lord a fiend is in the stable 
"'What means this folly?' said the baron, arising, surprised and displeased at an interruption so unusual. "'Let me endure your displeasure,' said Caspar, "'if I speak not truth. Apollyon!' Here he paused. "'Speak out, thou frightened fool,' said the baron. "'Is my horse sick or injured?' the master of the stalls again gasped forth the word apollyon say on said the baron were apollyon in presence personally it were nothing to shake a brave man's mind the devil answered the master of the horse is in apollyon's stall fool exclaimed the nobleman snatching a torch from the wall what is it that could have turned thy brain in such silly fashion things like thee that are born to serve us should hold their brains on a firmer tenure for our sakes if not for that of their worthless selves as he spoke he descended to the court of the castle to visit the stately range of stables which occupied all the lower part of the quadrangle on one side he entered where fifty gallant steeds stood in rows on each side of the ample hall at the side of each stall hung the weapons of offence and defence of a man-at-arms as bright as constant attention could make them together with the buff coat which formed the trooper's undergarment the baron followed by one or two of the domestics who had assembled full of astonishment at the unusual alarm hastened up to the head of the stable betwixt the rows of steeds as he approached the stall of his favourite horse which was the uppermost of the right-hand row the gallant steed neither neighed nor shook his head nor stamped with his foot nor gave the usual signs of joy at his lord's approach a faint moaning as if he implored assistance was the only acknowledgment he gave of the baron's presence sir herman held up the torch and discovered that there was indeed a tall dark figure standing in the stall resting his hand on the horse's shoulder who art thou said the baron and what dost thou here i seek refuge and hospitality replied the stranger and i conjure thee to grant it me by the shoulder of thy horse and by the edge of thy sword and so as they may never fail thee when thy need is at the utmost thou art then a brother of the sacred fire said baron herman of arnheim and i may not refuse thee the refuge which thou requirest of me after the ritual of the persian magi from whom and for what length of time dost thou crave my protection from those replied the stranger who shall arrive in quest of me before the morning cock shall crow and for the full space of a year and a day from this period i may not refuse thee said the baron consistently with my oath and my honour for a year and a day i will be thy pledge and thou shalt share with me roof and chamber wine and food 
but thou too must obey the law of zoroaster which as it says let the stronger protect the weaker brother says also let the wiser instruct the brother who hath less knowledge i am the stronger and thou shalt be safe under my protection but thou art the wiser and must instruct me in the more secret mysteries you mock your servant said the strange visitor but if aught is known to danishamond which can avail herman his instructions shall be as those of a father to a son come forth then from thy place of refuge said the baron of arnheim i swear to thee by the sacred fire which lives without terrestrial fuel and by the fraternity which is betwixt us and by the shoulder of my horse and the edge of my good sword i will be thy warrant for a year and a day if so far my power shall extend the stranger came forth accordingly and those who saw the singularity of his appearance scarce wondered at the fears of caspar the stallmaster when he found such a person in the stable by what mode of entrance he was unable to conceive when he reached the lighted hall to which the baron conducted him as he would have done a welcome and honoured guest the stranger appeared to be very tall and of a dignified aspect his dress was asiatic being a long black caftan or gown like that worn by armenians with a lofty square cap covered with the wool of astrakhan lambs every article of the dress was black which gave relief to the long white beard that flowed down over his bosom his gown was fastened by a sash of black silk network in which instead of a poniard or sword was stuck a silver case containing writing materials and a roll of parchment the only ornament of his apparel consisted in a large ruby of uncommon brilliancy which when he approached the light seemed to glow with such liveliness as if the gem itself had emitted the rays which it only reflected back to the offer of refreshment the stranger replied bread i may not eat water shall not moisten my lips until the avenger shall have passed by the threshold the baron commanded the lamps to be trimmed and fresh torches to be lighted and sending his whole household to rest remained seated in the hall along with the stranger his suppliant at the dead hour of midnight the gates of the castle were shaken as by a whirlwind and a voice as of a herald was heard to demand a herald's lawful prisoner danishemond the son of holly the warder then heard a lower window of the hall thrown open and could distinguish his master's voice addressing the person who had thus summoned the castle but the night was so dark that he might not see the speakers and the language which they used was either entirely foreign or so largely interspersed with strange words that he could not understand a syllable which they said 
scarce five minutes had elapsed when he who was without again elevated his voice as before and said in german for a year and a day then i forbear my forfeiture but coming for it when that time shall elapse i come for my right and will no longer be withstood from that period danish shamond the persian was a constant guest at the castle of arnheim and indeed never for any visible purpose crossed the drawbridge his amusements or studies seemed centred in the library of the castle and in the laboratory where the baron sometimes toiled in conjunction with him for many hours together the inhabitants of the castle could find no fault in the magus or persian excepting his apparently dispensing with the ordinances of religion since he neither went to mass nor confession nor attended upon other religious ceremonies the chaplain did indeed profess himself satisfied with the state of the stranger's conscience but it had been long suspected that the worthy ecclesiastic held his easy office on the very reasonable condition of approving the principles and asserting the orthodoxy of all guests whom the baron invited to share his hospitality it was observed that danishamond was rigid in paying his devotions by prostrating himself in the first rays of the rising sun and that he constructed a silver lamp of the most beautiful proportions which he placed on a pedestal representing a truncated column of marble having its base sculptured with hieroglyphical imagery with what essences he fed this flame was unknown to all unless perhaps to the baron but the flame was more steady pure and lustrous than any which was ever seen excepting the sun of heaven itself and it was generally believed that the magian made it an object of worship in the absence of that blessed luminary nothing else was observed of him unless that his morals seemed severe his gravity extreme his general mode of life very temperate and his fasts and vigils of frequent recurrence except on particular occasions he spoke to no one of the castle but the baron but as he had money and was liberal he was regarded by the domestics with awe indeed but without fear or dislike winter was succeeded by spring summer brought her flowers and autumn her fruits which ripened and were fading when a foot-page who sometimes attended them in the laboratory to render manual assistance when required heard the persian say to the baron of arnheim you will do well my son to mark my words for my lessons to you are drawing to an end and there is no power on earth which can longer postpone my fate alas my master said the baron and must i then lose the benefit of your direction just when your guiding hand becomes necessary to place me on the very pinnacle of the temple of wisdom 
be not discouraged my son answered the sage i will bequeath the task of perfecting you in your studies to my daughter who will come hither on purpose but remember if you value the permanence of your family look not upon her as aught else than a helpmate in your studies for if you forget the instructress in the beauty of the maiden you will be buried with your sword and your shield as the last male of your house and further evil believe me will arise for such alliances never come to a happy issue of which my own is an example but hush we are observed the household of the castle of arnheim having but few things to interest them were the more eager observers of those which came under their notice and when the termination of the period when the persian was to receive shelter in the castle began to approach some of the inmates under various pretexts but which resolved into very terror absconded while others held themselves in expectation of some striking and terrible catastrophe none such however took place and on the expected anniversary long ere the witching hour of midnight Danishemond terminated his visit in the castle of arnheim by riding away from the gate in the guise of an ordinary traveller the baron had meantime taken leave of his tutor with many marks of regret and some which amounted even to sorrow the sage persian comforted him by a long whisper of which the last part only was heard by the first beam of sunshine she will be with you be kind to her but not over kind he then departed and was never again seen or heard of in the vicinity of arnheim the baron was observed during all the day after the departure of the stranger to be particularly melancholy he remained contrary to his custom in the great hall and neither visited the library nor the laboratory where he could no longer enjoy the company of his departed instructor at dawn of the ensuing morning sir herman summoned his page and contrary to his habits which used to be rather careless in respect of apparel he dressed himself with great accuracy and as he was in the prime of life and of a noble figure he had reason to be satisfied with his appearance having performed his toilet he waited till the sun had just appeared above the horizon and taking from the table the key of the laboratory which the page believed must have lain there all night he walked thither followed by his attendant at the door the baron made a pause and seemed at one time to doubt whether he should not send away the page at another to hesitate whether he should open the door as one might do who expected some strange sight within he pulled up resolution however turned the key threw the door open and entered the page followed close behind his master and was astonished to the point of extreme terror at what he beheld although the sight 
however extraordinary had in it nothing save what was agreeable and lovely the silver lamp was extinguished or removed from its pedestal where stood in place of it a most beautiful female figure in the persian costume in which the colour of pink predominated but she wore no turban or headdress of any kind save a blue riband drawn through her auburn hair and secured by a gold clasp the outer side of which was ornamented by a superb opal which amid the changing lights peculiar to that gem displayed internally a slight tinge of red like a spark of fire the figure of this young person was rather under the middle size but perfectly well formed the eastern dress with the wide trousers gathered round the ankles made visible the smallest and most beautiful feet which had ever been seen while hands and arms of the most perfect symmetry were partly seen from under the folds of the robe the little lady's countenance was of a lively and expressive character in which spirit and wit seemed to predominate and the quick dark eye with its beautifully formed eyebrow seemed to presage the arch remark to which the rosy and half-smiling lip appeared ready to give utterance the pedestal on which she stood or rather was perched would have appeared unsafe had any figure heavier than her own been placed there but however she had been transported thither she seemed to rest on it as lightly and safely as a linnet when it has dropped from the sky on the tendril of a rosebud the first beam of the rising sun falling through a window directly opposite to the pedestal increased the effect of this beautiful figure which remained as motionless as if it had been carved in marble she only expressed her sense of the baron of arnheim's presence by something of a quicker respiration and a deep blush accompanied by a slight smile whatever reason the baron of arnheim might have for expecting to see some such object as now exhibited its actual presence the degree of beauty which it presented was so much beyond his expectation that for an instant he stood without breath or motion at once however he seemed to recollect that it was his duty to welcome the fair stranger to his castle and to relieve her from her precarious situation he stepped forward accordingly with the words of welcome on his tongue and was extending his arms to lift her from the pedestal which was nearly six feet high but the light and active stranger merely accepted the support of his hand and descended on the floor as light and as safe as if she had been formed of gossamer it was indeed only by the momentary pressure of her little hand that the baron of arnheim was finally made sensible that he had to do with a being of flesh and blood i am come as i have been commanded she said looking around her 
you must expect a strict and diligent mistress and i hope for the credit of an attentive pupil after the arrival of this singular and interesting being in the castle of arnheim various alterations took place within the interior of the household a lady of high rank and small fortune the respectable widow of a count of the empire who was the baron's blood relation received and accepted an invitation to preside over her kinsman's domestic affairs and remove by her countenance any suspicions which might arise from the presence of hermione as the beautiful persian was generally called the countess waldstetten carried her complaisance so far as to be present on almost all occasions whether in the laboratory or library when the baron of arnheim received lessons from or pursued studies with the young and lovely tutor who had been thus strangely substituted for the aged magus if this lady's report was to be trusted their pursuits were of a most extraordinary nature and the results which she sometimes witnessed were such as to create fear as well as surprise but she strongly vindicated them from practising unlawful arts or overstepping the boundaries of natural science a better judge of such matters the bishop of bamberg himself made a visit to arnheim on purpose to witness the wisdom of which so much was reported through the whole rhine country he conversed with hermione and found her deeply impressed with the truths of religion and so perfectly acquainted with its doctrines that he compared her to a doctor of theology in the dress of an eastern dancing girl when asked regarding her knowledge of languages and science he answered that he had been attracted to arnheim by the most extravagant reports on these points but that he must return confessing the half thereof had not been told unto him in consequence of this indisputable testimony the sinister reports which had been occasioned by the singular appearance of the fair stranger were in a great measure lulled to sleep especially as her amiable manners won the involuntary good-will of every one that approached her meantime a marked alteration began to take place in the interviews between the lovely tutor and her pupil these were conducted with the same caution as before and never so far as could be observed took place without the presence of the countess of waldstetten or some other third person of respectability but the scenes of these meetings were no longer the scholar's library or the chemist's laboratory the gardens the groves were resorted to for amusement and parties of hunting and fishing with evenings spent in the dance seemed to announce that the studies of wisdom were for a time abandoned for the pursuits of pleasure it was not difficult to guess the meaning of this the baron of arnheim 
and his fair guest speaking a language different from all others could enjoy their private conversation even amid all the tumult of gaiety around them and no one was surprised to hear it formally announced after a few weeks of gaiety that the fair persian was to be wedded to the baron of arnheim the manners of this fascinating young person were so pleasing her conversation so animated her wit so keen yet so well-tempered with good-nature and modesty that notwithstanding her unknown origin her high fortune attracted less envy than might have been expected in a case so singular above all her generosity amazed and won the hearts of all the young persons who approached her her wealth seemed to be measureless for the many rich jewels which she distributed among her fair friends would otherwise have left her without ornaments for herself these good qualities her liberality above all together with a simplicity of thought and character which formed a beautiful contrast to the depth of acquired knowledge which she was well known to possess these with her total want of ostentation made her superiority be pardoned among her companions still there was notice taken of some peculiarities exaggerated perhaps by envy which seemed to draw a mystical distinction between the beautiful hermione and the mere mortals with whom she lived and conversed in the merry dance she was so unrivalled in lightness and agility that her performance seemed that of an aerial being she could without suffering from her exertion continue the pleasure till she had tired out the most active revellers and even the young duke of hochspringen who was reckoned the most indefatigable at that exercise in germany having been her partner for half an hour was compelled to break off the dance and throw himself totally exhausted on a couch exclaiming he had been dancing not with a woman but with an ignis fatuous other whispers averred that while she played with her young companions in the labyrinth and mazes of the castle gardens at hide-and-seek or similar games of activity she became animated with the same supernatural alertness which was supposed to inspire her in the dance she appeared amongst her companions and vanished from them with a degree of rapidity which was inconceivable and hedges trellage or such like obstructions were surmounted by her in a manner which the most vigilant eye could not detect for after being observed on the side of the barrier at one instant in another she was beheld close beside the spectator in such moments when her eyes sparkled her cheeks reddened and her whole frame became animated it was pretended that the opal clasp amid her tresses the ornament which she never laid aside shot forth the little spark or tongue of flame which it always displayed with an increased vivacity 
in the same manner if in the half-darkened hall the conversation of hermione became unusually animated it was believed that the jewel became brilliant and even displayed a twinkling and flashing gleam which seemed to be emitted by the gem itself and not produced in the usual manner by the reflection of some external light her maidens were also heard to surmise that when their mistress was agitated by any hasty or brief resentment the only weakness of temper which she was sometimes observed to display they could observe dark red sparks flash from the mystic brooch as if it sympathized with the wearer's emotions the women who attended on her toilet further reported that this gem was never removed but for a few minutes when the baroness's hair was combed out that she was unusually pensive and silent during the time it was laid aside and particularly apprehensive when any liquid was brought near it even in the use of holy water at the door of the church she was observed to omit the sign of the cross on the forehead for fear it was supposed of the water touching the valued jewel these singular reports did not prevent the marriage of the baron of arnheim from proceeding as had been arranged it was celebrated in the usual form and with the utmost splendor and the young couple seemed to commence a life of happiness rarely to be found on earth in the course of twelve months the lovely baroness presented her husband with a daughter which was to be christened sibylla after the count's mother as the health of the child was excellent the ceremony was postponed till the recovery of the mother from her confinement many were invited to be present on the occasion and the castle was thronged with company it happened that amongst the guests was an old lady notorious for playing in private society the part of a malicious fairy in a minstrel's tale this was the baroness of steinfeld famous in the neighborhood for her insatiable curiosity and overweening pride she had not been many days in the castle ere by the aid of a female attendant who acted as an intelligencer she had made herself mistress of all that was heard said or suspected concerning the peculiarities of the baroness hermione it was on the morning of the day appointed for the christening while the whole company were assembled in the hall and waiting till the baroness should appear to pass with them to the chapel that there arose between the censorious and haughty dame whom we have just mentioned and the countess waldstetten a violent discussion concerning some point of disputed precedence it was referred to the baron von arnheim who decided in favor of the countess madame de steinfeld instantly ordered her palfrey to be prepared and her attendants to mount i leave this place she said which a good christian ought never to have entered i leave a house of which the master is a sorcerer the mistress a demon 
who dares not cross her brow with holy water and their trencher companion one who for a wretched pittance is willing to act as matchmaker between a wizard and an incarnate fiend she then departed with rage in her countenance and spite in her heart the baron of arnheim then stepped forward and demanded of the knights and gentlemen around if there were any among them who would dare to make good with his sword the infamous falsehoods thrown upon himself his spouse and his kinswoman there was a general answer utterly refusing to defend the baroness of steinfeldt's words in so bad a cause and universally testifying the belief of the company that she spoke in the spirit of calumny and falsehood then let that lie fall to the ground which no man of courage will hold up said the baron of arnheim only all who are here this morning shall be satisfied whether the baroness hermione doth or doth not share the rights of christianity the countess of walstetten made anxious signs to him while he spoke thus and when the crowd permitted her to approach near him she was heard to whisper oh be not rash try no experiment there is something mysterious about that opal talisman be prudent and let the matter pass by the baron who was in a more towering passion than well became the wisdom to which he made pretence although it will be perhaps allowed that an affront so public and in such a time and place was enough to shake the prudence of the most staid and the philosophy of the most wise answered sternly and briefly are you too such a fool and retained his purpose the baroness of arnheim at this moment entered the hall looking just so pale from her late confinement as to render her lovely countenance more interesting if less animated than usual having paid her compliments to the assembled company with the most graceful and condescending attention she was beginning to inquire why madame de steinfeldt was not present when her husband made the signal for the company to move forward to the chapel and lent the baroness his arm to bring up the rear the chapel was nearly filled by the splendid company and all eyes were bent on their host and hostess as they entered the place of devotion immediately after four young ladies who supported the infant babe in a light and beautiful litter as they passed the threshold the baron dipped his finger in the font stone and offered holy water to his lady who accepted it as usual by touching his finger with her own but then as if to confute the calumnies of the malevolent lady of steinfeldt with an air of sportive familiarity which was rather unwarranted by the time and place he flirted on her beautiful forehead a drop or two of the moisture which remained on his own hand the opal on which one of these drops had lighted shot out a brilliant spark 
like a falling star and became the instant afterwards lightless and colourless as a common pebble while the beautiful baroness sank on the floor of the chapel with a deep sigh of pain all crowded around her in dismay the unfortunate hermione was raised from the ground and conveyed to her chamber and so much did her countenance and pulse alter within the short time necessary to do this that those who looked upon her pronounced her a dying woman she was no sooner in her own apartment than she requested to be left alone with her husband he remained an hour in the room and when he came out he locked and double-locked the door behind him he then betook himself to the chapel and remained there for an hour or more prostrated before the altar in the meantime most of the guests had dispersed in dismay though some abode out of courtesy or curiosity there was a general sense of impropriety in suffering the door of the sick lady's apartment to remain locked but alarmed at the whole circumstances of her illness it was some time ere any one dared disturb the devotions of the baron at length medical aid arrived and the countess of walstetten took upon her to demand the key she spoke more than once to a man who seemed incapable of hearing at least of understanding what she said at length he gave her the key and added sternly as he did so that all aid was unavailing and that it was his pleasure that all strangers should leave the castle there were few who inclined to stay when upon opening the door of the chamber in which the baroness had been deposited little more than two hours before no traces of her could be discovered unless that there was about a handful of light grey ashes like such as might have been produced by burning fine paper found on the bed where she had been laid a solemn funeral was nevertheless performed with masses and all other spiritual rites for the soul of the high and noble lady hermione of arnheim and it was exactly on that same day three years that the baron himself was laid in the grave of the same chapel of arnheim with sword shield and helmet as the last male of his family here the swiss paused for they were approaching the bridge of the castle of graf's lust End of chapter eleven